God is good. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, we have been honored to, I guess you would say, host, <laughs> serve the, uh, the linemen that have come into town to help get power back on into our communities. And, um, you know, our, our doing that is even your seed going out there. Amen. Hallelujah. I have not yet gotten down the multiplication of sardines and saltine crackers. So we're feeding them with money, getting money to buy food. Amen. Maybe it would be different if there was 50,000 people out there. You know, Jesus said, he never said, um, how are we ever going to feed these people? He said, where are we going to get food to, to get for these people? And uh, I think it was Philip, somebody said, or Andrew said, you know, 200 denarii, that's 200 days wor wages, is enough for them just to eat a little bit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You get on God's program, you get out of your limitations. Even if you have to use finances, you don't have to be limited to what's in your hand. You may be limited today, but you don't have to be limited tomorrow. You know, you can prepare for tomorrow with what you do today. Isn't that right? Hallelujah. You know, they always said that the difference between a child and an adult is that an adult can see down the road. The child can only see what's in front of their face. So therefore, they never really plan. And, you know, being an adult, we should plan for tomorrow. And things come up in life. And you have to develop your faith today to get to where you need to be tomorrow. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Because, I mean, let's face it, every one of us are at a certain level of faith. Is that right? But none of us are where we need to be. Therefore, there is none of us that is going to be able to handle tomorrow unless we develop faith today. Amen. Amen. And, you know, if you do stuff in your own strength, I don't know if you've noticed this, the older you get, the less strength you have. Amen. And it's important to connect to the grace of God and learn to develop faith based on what his word of God, what his word says, not just, well, I'm going to do this and I'm believing God. Well, you, you can't believe God unless you know what his word says. Right. Amen. 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 Don't shout me down. <laughs> Praise God. But I'm so glad that he gave us his word Amen. so that we can develop faith. That we can grow in faith in what he says and know that what he said is the truth. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Open up with me this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2.10. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We'll see how it goes. Someday, somewhere, today, tomorrow, wherever, we'll see. Ephesians chapter 2 <laughs> and verse 10. Did I tell you that? I did. It says, for we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's prepared beforehand the good works so that we can walk in them. Isn't that right? Amen. Well, what good works did he prepare? Well, he's prepared us as individuals. He's prepared us all differently. Are you with me? He's prepared us differently to do different works. Not everybody does the same. But everybody is to do. Let me say that again. Not everybody does the same, but everybody is to do. Not everybody's involved in the same things, but everybody's to be involved. In what? Good works. What good works? The ones he's prepared for you. Before he even sent you to this earth, he prepared a whole life of good works for you to be involved in. Amen. Amen. There were things that he gives to local churches, things that he gives to ministries. There were things that he gives to individuals, but they're all good works. You know, I hear people say things like, well, you know, I'm doing this, and unless you're doing this, if you're not doing this, you're not doing nothing. The noise of some people. (laughs) And what they actually mean is what I'm doing is the most important, and anything you're doing is not important. That's pride. God has prepared every single one of us for certain works. And not everybody does the same, and not everybody's involved in the same thing, but everybody is to be involved in something and doing something. Doing what? Good works. What good works? The ones you were created for. Amen. Amen. Let's read this verse from the Passion Translation. This is really good. It says, we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Now, this is really, really important to understand what he's saying here. Before you were born, we know that before we were even formed in our mother's womb, God has anointed us and appointed us for particular purposes in life. You did not come to earth by mistake. That body you're living in might have been a mistake, but you're not a mistake. And you came with a purpose. God planned before you were even born your destiny. And he planned the good works that you should walk in in order to fulfill that destiny. So God has planned in advance a destiny for everybody, but the destiny that can be actually taken hold of in life is to those that have said yes to Jesus. He has ordained that every single person could be saved in in Christ Jesus. It's all up to everybody's choice, but he has ordained that every single person could be saved in Christ Jesus. Isn't that right? So, he has set a path of good works for us to fulfill our destiny. These good works is what makes up our destiny. If I'm only involved in me and myself, us four and no more, your destiny is going to be really small. As we yield ourselves to God, our prearranged destiny comes to pass, and we are simply rewarded for doing what God wants us to accomplish. 
Your destiny is made up of rewards based on doing what God has asked you to accomplish. If we're not involved with what God wants us to do, and I'm all involved in what I need, you're not fulfilling your destiny. It's the works that fulfills your destiny. Are you with me? It's all about saying yes to God. And just like the song, I give my life to you. Unless I give my life to him, I'm not going to fulfill anything in my life. It is a really important verse. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given to each and every one of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. So that part of your destiny is fulfilled, joined to Jesus. But before you were born, God planned in advance your destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill the destiny. So your destiny, you've re, you, you have in Christ, your destiny is a life of eternity in him. But the destiny of your eternity is based on the good works you do here. Proverbs chapter 11. I don't know if I could stress this enough. You're going to have to hear it again. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. It says, there's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There's one who, who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. So our scattering, our generosity, and our watering is not so we can get. You are to do these things because they are acts of righteousness. Isn't that right? Yes. That's what Jesus called them in Matthew chapter 7, 6, acts of righteousness. Doing what you were created for. You were created to scatter. You were created to be generous, and you were created to water. Because those are good works. Isn't that right? Yes. Walking in the good works that was prepared for you individually. And, of course, in all of this, you have to follow the Holy Spirit because it's scatter, not just throw. You're not to throw your seed. You are to sow your seed. Yeah. Even the seed of the Word of God, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before the swine because they'll just trample it underfoot. So there is the leadership of the Holy Spirit that's involved in here. You know, just because you see a need doesn't mean you are the Holy Ghost and you're going to fulfill everybody's need. You're not the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit knows what to be involved in and what not to be involved in. So why is it then that we increase all the more? Why is it that we would be prosperous? Why is it that we ourselves would be warded? So you can continue in doing the good works that he has ordained for you. Amen. You know, I know, I know this fellow that he gave notice on his job and... He gave the notice and the job came to an end. But as the job came to an end, a whole lot of construction tools came into his possession and he knew how to do construction work. So the question is, should I wait on God for direction or should I just take these tools and do something? So the answer was, you can either sit and wait or you can work while you wait. 
you know, a lot of people think, and, and you know, I've just seen this through the years with people because, well, anyway. But I've seen this through the years, like this one person said, I'm believing God for a Cadillac. And somebody actually wanted to give them for free a Volkswagen. And they said, I can't take a Volkswagen, I'm believing for a Cadillac. Why can't you drive the Volkswagen while you believe in God for the Cadillac? So they walked. I know, that's what I said. But you see, the whole idea is, the thinking is that if I take this Volkswagen, then I'm not believing God for that Cadillac. Why can't you believe God for a Cadillac while you're driving your Volkswagen? But, you know, so we can either sit down and wait for God to bring the perfect job for me, or I can work at what I have to put my hand to, because Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it, and do it with all your might. So you, we can work, but yet at the same time be believing God for what we need. Isn't that right? Amen. I knew, uh, well, not I knew, I was the person that I, the Lord told me about leaving my job. This was back in the uh, early 80s. And the Lord told me to leave work. And I was so excited. I said, okay, I'm going to leave work. And I went in and I gave my two-week notice. And I had no job. I had no nothing waiting on me. Now, I had only been saved a couple of months, so I really knew nothing. I don't know much now, but I know a little more than what I knew back then. So... I gave my notice, and at the very ending of that notice, a job opportunity came up, and I knew that it was a, a God opportunity. And, uh, well, because, see, I was an infant. And as an infant, you know, Jesus is probably going, holy vey, what is he doing down there? You know, and he's sending the angels out, go get a job for this guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so at the last minute, the, the job came out. So now, some years later, I knew, again, that I was supposed to leave work. A new, new person came in, started managing the business, and he was a thief. And I couldn't stand really working for him. I didn't like him. Um, he had no integrity at all. Um, and I would tell customers, you know, they're just ripping you off. I mean, I didn't care. They could fire me. I didn't care because my attitude was I found this job when I was looking for one, so go ahead and fire me. I don't care. So I would tell people, you know, the boss, he's just ripping you off. He's just trying to steal from you, and you don't need any of this stuff or all these other things, you know. And um, so I didn't like working there, and I knew that I was supposed to leave work, but I never had the release to leave. But yet I was believing God for another job, okay? And I stayed in that job until another job opened up. Four years. It took four years. Why did it take so long? Because there were certain things that I wanted in the job that I worked at. And God had to find a man to build a whole new automotive center that would give me exactly what I wanted. You say, well, why didn't you go work for someplace else? Because every place in town that I could have gone to work for was another thief. Just so you know, there's a lot of thieves in the automotive repair business. Yeah, just like any business. There's even thieves in the pulpit. I don't know if you know that. But there were thieves all over the place. And um, I didn't want to go to work for them. Why would I leave work with one thief and go work for another thief? You know, I'll stay with the thief I have. And I'll wait for my job to open up. 
<laughs> well, why did you have to wait so long? Well, now this is a number of years down the road, so now as a mature believer, I should walk in more endurance than I did when I was an infant. When I was an infant, I was just like so excited to do what God said to do and didn't realize and didn't consider anything else. And now God's got to scramble and get things together so that I could be taken care of. You understand what I'm saying? All right. But now down the road, I'm a more mature believer. So therefore, endurance should be something I can stand in. If endurance does not increase in your life, you have not matured. Endurance is the most what did they say? The queen of all virtues. When you look at the fruit of the spirit, endurance is the strongest virtue you could walk in. It's greater than love. Amen. Because when somebody does you wrong, before you can love them back, you got to endure. <laughs> Just has a way of working like that. So, endurance. So, I'm trying to tell you these things to let you know that there's not a pattern. I did not have to follow a pattern of what I needed to do so that I could quit my job and then get another one. The first time as an infant, it worked one way. The second time as a more mature believer, it worked another way. The man that was... Um, left his job and then tools came into his possession to be able to do an occupation was another way. When my daughter had an extreme allergic reaction and almost died, the doctor said, if you got her to the hospital five minutes later, we could not have reversed this situation. So, a number of years later, my wife had the same kind of re, uh, allergic reaction, and the Lord said, pray for her. He woke us up in the middle of the night. He said, pray for her. And she was going through the same thing my daughter went through. And, of course, the thoughts come. You know, you need to get her up and get her to the hospital right now. And I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit said to pray, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And then the thoughts come again. You need to get her up right now and get her to the hospital because remember your daughter. You only had five-minute leeway. I said, well, that was then. This is now. The Holy Spirit said to pray. We weren't saved then. We're saved now. And then the last thought comes and says, if you don't get her up off the floor right now and get her to the hospital, she will die. And I said, if she dies, God will raise her up. And I said, God said to pray, and we're going to continue to pray. About that point, that was last-ditch effort. Devil, devil had nothing else, and all the thoughts left. The peace of God came into the room. Her body settled right down. She got up. She was fine. And the next day, she went back and did the same thing that caused the problems. <laughs> Just to prove that she was healed and that God's greater. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you understand? So what I'm saying here is that there's not a set pattern for anything. And when if you get into a set pattern of anything, pretty much you're going to be in the flesh. Yeah. Unless the word of God says specifically. For instance, a tithe is a tenth. 
that's always, it's never going to change. Despite Biden inflation, the tithe is still a tenth. It does not increase. Amen. He doesn't tax you more because he needs more money. It's always the tenth. <laughs> Amen. So, I mean, those are things like that are very specific in the word that you, that you never change. No matter how mad you get, no matter how upset you get, no matter how irritated you get, no matter how much the Tabasco sauce or the hot sauce is boiling up on the inside of you, thou shalt not commit murder. That never changes. But when it comes to the things of life like this, and you've got to make these kinds of decisions, there's no pattern. The only pattern that there is, there is one pattern. It's called hear, heed, and obey. That's the pattern. You hear, you heed it, and you obey it. It's the only pattern. Because it's about following the Holy Spirit. It's not about reading the Word. Oh, that's what the Word says. It's about following the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you're on the pinnacle of the temple. Go ahead and throw yourself down from here. It'll be okay. He gives his angels charge over you. No, no, no. It's following the Holy Spirit. See, that was the written word, but that was not something he was supposed to act on. And you've got to know what you act on, what you don't act on. Well, David cried out, and, and the Lord said, well, pursue your enemies. Well, that's what God told David. But that doesn't mean it's what you do. Then there's times that he told Jehoshaphat, send the praises out, and you'll defeat your enemies. Then he told Gideon, you know, make some noise, and the enemy will run away. What's the pattern? There is no pattern except to hear, heed, and obey. That is the pattern. Amen. And then if you do the pattern right, there ought to be results. And don't lie against the truth. If the results don't work out and things are not good, you miss something. That's all. You miss something. It's not the end of the world. Jesus didn't fall off the throne. It's only your pride that got hurt. And that thing needs to not get hurt. It needs to be killed. You need to kill that thing. <laughs> Amen. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4.28. This was a verse that I really had to take hold of when I got saved. He who steals must steal no longer. <laughs> I had to meditate on that one. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Okay? So what's the purpose of a job? So I can go on vacation. Now, what's the purpose of the job? I'm not saying you can't go on vacation, but what's the purpose of the job? To share with others, those that have need. That's the purpose of the job. Can you see that? So we could say the purpose of the job is to do good. So when do you do good? Well, in the good times, when things are going good. When, when the pay is getting increased, when, when, the, when the business is flowing and things are abounding. Do you do it when the circumstances are just right? Go over to Ecclesiastes for a minute. Chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And let's read verses 4 through 6. Ecclesiastes 11, 4 through 6. It says, He who watches the wind will not sow, or he will not give, or he will not share. And he who looks at the clouds will not reap. 
Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed, share your seed, give your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. So he says in verse 4, he says, don't be watching the wind. Don't be looking at the clouds to determine what it is you can do. Are you with me? Why? Because those things will paralyze you. Those things will. Why do you watch the clouds? Why do you watch the wind? Because you're in fear. You're in fear. Your fear of moving at the wrong time. You're in fear of circumstances not being right. Huh? You look to the circumstances to lead you or to prove to you what's the right thing to do. And your focus is so wrong, I guarantee you, everything you do will be wrong. You're looking at the wind, you're looking at the clouds, you're looking at things that are seen, you're looking at circumstances, looking at all these things to prove that what I'm doing is right. Paul was on his way to Rome, and they stopped at Fair Haven. And um, it was not a good place to port for the winter. But the storm, there was, there, it was not good. There, there was a, a storm. That, it was a very rough trip just to get to Fairhaven. And uh, they wanted to go on. And Paul said, I perceive that this trip will be with much damage to the ship and also to our lives. But the pilot of the ship convinced the, the centurion it'll be okay. And then all of a sudden, we're looking at the wind. We're looking at the clouds. We're looking at the circumstances. And a favorable wind has come, which shows us we should go off as we need to. And they did. But you know what happens to winds? They change. You know what happens to circumstances? They change. You know what happens to clouds? They change. And it did change. And they got in a major hurricane in the ship. And the ship was torn to pieces. Huh? We get paralyzed when we start looking at the circumstances because circumstances continually change. Circumstances continually change. So when is it that you do good? All the time. Now, if you got it in your heart and know that you're supposed to do good all the time, now the Holy Spirit can direct you because you know it's always time. It doesn't mean it's always going to be something to do, but the Holy Spirit can always direct you because you know it's always time. Amen. I mean, you can't be like, uh, well, God wants me to do this, but I just don't have the money to do that. So go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, 
For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. What is the secret? Verse 13. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let's take this apart and let's get doctrine out of the way. He says in verse 10, or I don't know, 10 or 11, go back to 10, 11. I have learned to be content. I've learned to be content. Well, dear God, you know, I don't have nothing, but I'm content with it. I'm content. I've just learned to, I'm okay. You know, it's all right. We don't have nothing, but we're okay. Well, that's not what content means. That's what people means, and maybe I don't know what Webster defines it as. But the word content means to be sufficient, self-supporting, independent of others, and independent of circumstances. Self-sufficient, self-supporting, independent of others, and independent of circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean others can't do things in your life or circumstances can't go in your direction. What it means is your dependency is not on it. Are you with me? He says here, I have learned the secret in whatever circumstances I am, and verse, uh, I have learned to be content, I'm sorry, in whatever circumstances I am. In verse 12, I know. I know how to get along. I know. It means I fully understand and recognize. I know how to get along. To get along in humble circumstances or in living in prosperity. I know how to get along in everything because my circumstances don't control me. I don't scrape along in humble living and I don't get high on the hog from prosperity. See, there are some people that, oh, when things are going good and it's prosperous, we can go back to the early 2000s, 2004, 2005, I mean, 2003. Things were really prosperous. Things were going well. And a lot of the church thought, praise God, we are doing so good. Our God is good. No, you were on the wave of the world. It's the world system you were on. And um, so they were high on the hog. But then 2007 came. And the economy crashed, and so did many Christians, crashed with it, because they were on the wave of the world, and when the wave of the world crashed, they crashed with it. And all of a sudden, they couldn't do anything, couldn't, you know, I can't do anything, I have no money, things just aren't good, things aren't right. But yet, what happened was, in the days of prosperity, they didn't learn how to live, because we depended on our prosperity for us to live. He said, my circumstances don't control me. I don't scrape along in humble living. My mother, you know, bless her heart. God bless her. But she thought she was doing so good because she could take a little bottle of Dove dishwasher soap and it lasts a whole year. She could get that bottle to last a whole year. Well, at the same time, she's like, I'm believing God to meet all my needs. Well, which one is it, Mom? Are we believing God to meet our needs, or where are we? Huh? 
My circumstances do not control me. Now, this is important. Don't just yes me. You got to get this in your heart. My circumstances do not control me. I have learned the secret. The word secret means that I have been initiated into a mystery. I've learned a secret that I had not learned before. I didn't know about this before, but I have learned this secret. The secret to be able to be filled or to be hungry, to have an abundance or to suffer need. There is a secret involved in this, and the secret is I can do all things through Christ. That he, in other words, he and his word, he and his word, he and his word, he and his word, he and his word are my focus. So many people say, well, I'm believing God. Well, what does his word say? Well, I don't really know. Well, then you're not believing God. You have a religious attitude, but you're not believing God if you don't know what his word says. You can't believe anything about me unless you know what I say. And yet I've had people sit in church for years and tell me, oh, we know exactly what you teach. And they tell you, and they're wrong. Because they don't know. They think they know. But you know how you get to know more? You ask. You ask. I've had, we've been doing this now, the church, since 1990. How many people, I mean, if, if the peop, all the people that came stayed, you know, we'd have three more buildings on the property filled. Dr. Bill used to tell me this. He says, you know, if everybody that came to the church stayed at the church, we, we'd have a mega church. Because, you know, it seems to be the same problem around a lot of word churches. People come, they don't want to stay. So I think it, uh, it, it uh, demands too much accountability. But... Um, Through the years, since we started the church in 1990, I'd say at least 98% of the people that left never asked me anything about what I taught. Because they thought they knew, but they didn't know. I had a man, I had a man that he left the church, and I said, listen, let's go out and have some coffee. And we, have, we go out and have some coffee, and I'd tell, ask him, you know, what's the deal, what's going on? Well, this and this and this and this and this. And he says, and he came up with this whole thing. I said, so you don't understand about, and I went down this whole road. And they were like, oh, no, I didn't know anything about that. I'm like, so. But they never came back to church. And I don't understand. You can go to Walmart, you can have an argument with a cashier, but you'll be back there. But church, I don't know. I don't know. People get weird when it gets to church. Get really weird. Church people, I don't understand sometimes. No offense. I'm church people myself, and a lot of people, I'm sure, look at me like, mm, you know. But you know, but you don't understand that. You you can have an argument with somebody at Walmart, but you'll be back there to go shopping. But in church, you know, something happens. It's like, oh, we don't come back. Or you didn't ask me to come back. Did the manager of Walmart call you and say, we'd like you to come back as a customer? No. 
But when it comes to church, unless you get a personal invite, and, co- and invite them over for dinner and whatever else it takes, then they're just not going to come back. I don't, I don't understand that. You know, we've never put a sign out front that says limited, you know, limited membership. You know, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm moving on. <laughs> but him and his word has to become our focus, and it has to stay our focus. He's got to be the center of our life in all things. Amen. So again, it's not out, you're out there busting your hump and doing all you can within your own strength and saying, well, I'm just believing God for it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't work. I'm saying what you do has got to be based on and centered on his word. The word is what releases grace into your life and enables you to do things beyond your own self. Are you with me? He and his word is to be our focus and center of our life in everything that we do. Our eyes have to stay on him and not move to the clouds, not move to the wind, not move to the circumstances. We're not moved by humble means and we're not moved by abundance. Neither one of them moves us. He is our all in all and our all sufficiency. So it doesn't matter if I'm in humble needs or whether I am in prosperity. It doesn't matter. You know, as a church, through the years, the economic downturn and all that stuff, you know, well, through the years, I think the staff was behind on salaries about $200,000. And nothing ever changed around here. You never see anything change around here. You've never seen anything change with us. Well, I got to wear rags today. I had to sell all my suits. No. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you're in humble means or in prosperity. He remains the same, so I remain the same. Amen. Your life should not vary based on what goes on around you. But it should always increase because of God in you. I can continue in good works no matter what condition I find myself in. Whether I find myself in humble means or whether I find myself in prosperity. Whether I find myself abased or whether I find myself in abundance. I can continue in good works. Why? Because of the secret I have found. So, if there are things that God wants us to do. Thank you, Jesus. God wants us to be involved in something. But I find myself choking on doing it. Well, I don't know if I can do that. I, I mean, I, well, one of the biggest things that we get concerned with is that we don't have enough. Well, I don't have enough. I'm stepping beyond my faith here. I don't have enough to do this. So if you find yourself in a position and you start choking because, what's this going to cost? What's this going to cost? What's this going to cost? Well, you're either going to back off from what you're doing or you're going to grow into it by faith. Now, I may back off now, but I must grow in faith for there'll be a next time. Always remember this. The children of Israel did not get out of going into the promised land. The first time they went, they refused to go in. 
They all died in the wilderness. Next generation comes up and it's like, your turn. What are you going to do? You'll always come around to that same mountain. People say things like, oh, my life goes in a circle. Why? Why is it going in a circle? Because you get to the same point, you refuse to press on in. And therefore, you got to go around and around and always come to that point and always come to that point and always come to that point till you make the right choice to move on. Your life is not to be a circle. And, and even if you get to a point and you disobey or refuse to do what needs to be done, you go in that circle and come back to that point. If you'll say yes that time, then you'll move further and you continue to move further in life. But circles are because of not obeying God. Amen. Our life is not to be a circle. It's to be an upward straight line in God. So if I realize that I'm choking, then I have to, I'm going to either back off or I'm going to grow into. I might realize that I'm choking on what I'm doing here, but I may continue to press forward, but pressing in faith. You can't press forward like, well, I can do this. I can do this. I, you're not the little train that thinks you can. The devil beat your brains out. No, no, you got to press forward in faith. So if I'm choking, I need to do something to develop faith now so that I can press forward and press forward and press forward by faith. You know, there is that verse that says, does anybody build a tower unless they first sit down and count the cost? Well, I believe, to me personally, that counting the cost is counting your faith. Do you have enough faith for this project? Do you have enough faith to do what, you, what needs to be done? That's right. Because you can have everything you need in your hand to do it, and if you have no faith, it'll all be gone. Yeah. In fact, go over to, no, no, where are we at? 12, let's go to 15. Verse 15 through 18. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself. Now listen, I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. Why? Because there's one that scatters and increases all the more. There's one that is generous, or pro uh, generous and he'll be prosperous. There's one that waters and he himself will be watered. So it's not about seeking the gift. It's about seeking the account of increase that goes to the giver. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphrodites what you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So, verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's the favorite verse. But you've got to read the whole thing. See, this reality of God supplying all your needs, your business, your task, and your undertakings, this reality is based on giving and receiving. Nobody shared with me in this in giving and receiving. So there's got to be a giving for there to be a receiving. And then out of the receiving, there's a giving so that there can be a receiving. You know, giving and receiving is not meant to put a burden on one person. It's meant for equality. Amen. So the reality based on giving and receiving, God supplies all my needs, all my tasks, all my businesses, and all my undertakings. If, if 
if I believe this. If I believe this. This is not a Christian cliche. This is not blowing it off out of the top of your head. Oh, I just believe that. I just believe that. No, no. If you believe that, if you're convinced of it with an inward certainty that regardless of the wind, regardless of the clouds, regardless of the yapping, yapping, yapping that goes on all around you, on the inside, you know this is the truth. And all y'all your voice means nothing. Your clouds mean nothing. Your wind means nothing. You're a bunch of losers. I know. My inward certainty, that's what believing is. When I believe something, it doesn't matter that something comes on the TV and scares the snot out of me. Or something comes on the weather channel and makes me run away. Or something comes over here and something happens over there. And oh, Jesus, help me. That's not believing. It means you need to stay on the path until you do believe. Inward certainty. If I believe that with an inward certainty, then doing good works will continue. Knowing that I'm doing it in God's supply, even before I see it. Don't get quiet on me now. I will believe God. I will continue in good works, believing God for that supply that I said I believe, even before I ever see it. Well, you know, we're getting pretty low over here. Well, is that true or not? Is it true only when you have an abundance, or is it true when you don't have anything? Is it true when you're in an overflow, or is it true when you're barely getting by? When is that true, and when will you stop believing that? What are you going to do if the economy tanks down and you lose your 401k? What are you going to do? If that's not a reality, you know what you're going to do. And I can't say that in church. That's going to have to be a reality, folks. It doesn't matter whether there's an abundance or whether there's a lack. We do what we do. We do what we do. Amen. Not moved by the circumstances, but I'm only moved by faith and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Amen. First Timothy chapter six. Everybody good? That's what I like to hear. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17 through 19. You know, sometimes, and, and I've done this, I, I have made this mistake in life, because I remember Brother Jerry Seville asking about money, and I said to myself, it must be easy for you. You have all these partners. You have all these people that are connected to your ministry. It must be easy for you. But Brother Jerry didn't start with partners. He didn't start with a worldwide ministry. He started as a paint and body shop man 
in Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. That's where he started. Had nothing. Brother Copeland comes into town, and he believes that the Holy Spirit, Jerry believes that the Holy Spirit wants him to connect with Brother Copeland over in Texas, but he's in Louisiana. He's got nothing but a broken-down car. And they throw all their belongings in a broken-down car to go join Brother Copeland in Texas. And Brother Copeland tells him, son, you want a paycheck, you're going to have to believe God for it. So we don't have any money. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to look at somebody that seems to be successful, but you don't know where they come from. And you don't know the faith that it took and the endurance that it took to get to where they are. And everybody wants to just have that silver spoon. You want to be successful in the kingdom of God, it takes a four-letter word called work. Work at faith. Work at, uh, work at leadership of the Holy Spirit. Work at not following your emotions and your feelings. Working at getting things that want to come against you to shut up and be quiet and stop talking in your head. you got to work at this stuff. It's called having skin in the game. If you don't have skin in the game, you'll get skinned in the game. <laughs> Where are we at here? 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies it. Well, there it is again. God supplies. God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So again, we're looking at the correct purposes of finances is good works. It's a good foundation. Produces a good foundation. A good foundation is one that holds up and holds together the building. Remember what Jesus talked about in Matthew 17? The house that's built on the rock is the one that hears the word and does the word. The house that's built on the sand, sand is the one that hears the word, but don't do it. And the storms come, the winds blow, comes to everybody. If your house is founded on the rock of hearing and doing the word, the house will stand. But if your house is not founded on the rock of hearing and doing, it'll get washed away with the storm. Good foundation, hearing and doing. The principle, the pattern, hear, heed, and obey. Hear, heed, and obey. Amen. And he says that you will, uh, a good foundation for the future. Well, you're preparing for eternity, which is the longest part of your existence. Your existence on this earth is a here today, gone tomorrow. But your eternity is the longest part of your life, and that's what you're preparing for. Look at the uh, Amplified Bible of these verses. 17 through 19, the Amplified. As for the rich in this world, charge them not to be proud and arrogant and contemptuous of others, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Charge them to do good, 
to be rich in good works and be liberal and generous of heart, ready to share with others. In this way, laying up for themselves the riches that endure forever as a good foundation for the future so that they may grasp that which is life indeed. So not setting our hope on uncertain riches. If you live based on humble means or abundance, you're setting your, your hopes on stuff. It's the uncertainties of the world. Huh? You know, and you set yourself on that. I mean, you can see where things are going right now, but you set yourself on that stuff, and then there's inflation, then there's recession, and then there's depression, and then there's collapse. <laughs> and what happens to your hopes? They get buried in the collapse. It's all uncertainties of this world system. Are you with me? You know, what does it tell us in Proverbs that you set your sights on riches and they make wings and fly away? You know, yeah. It's hard to hold on to stuff like that. You know, a good example of the, of the rich man is Joseph of Arimathea. You remember him? He was a rich man and he gave his tomb so that Jesus could be buried in it. You know, it's a funny thing about Joseph that was willing to give his tomb to Jesus, that he gave up his tomb. I'm sure it was a nice tomb. He was a wealthy man, and he gave that to Jesus. But guess what? Joseph never knew that in just a few days, the tomb would be unoccupied. So... What does the Holy Spirit ask us to do? What does the Holy Spirit ask us to give? And we add our but, and we add our excuses, but we didn't realize that in a few days it'll be unoccupied. See, we didn't realize that what I give is going to come right on back to me. I didn't realize that. I'm so concerned about the wind. I'm so concerned about the cloud. I'm so concerned that I might not have enough. I'm so concerned that, you know, I'm... I'm just not going to have what I need. She didn't realize that in a few days it could be unoccupied. Joseph got his tomb back. What's God trying to get to you? See, what's he trying to give to you? Not only did Joseph get his tomb back, he got the blessing of the Lord. Which brings increase into our life. Because he says he's given us what? All things to enjoy. You're supposed to enjoy life. You were created to enjoy life. That doesn't mean you enjoy life and forget about other people. Your enjoyment of life is in giving. Isn't that right? We have fear of losing out. We have fear of not having enough. We have fear because I'm more concerned about me. I'm in fear because it might cost too much. I'm in fear because I might have to work too much. I'm in fear because I might have to put in too much effort. But yet, it's ready to be unoccupied. These good works are fulfilling our destiny. They're setting our eternal foundation in order to live that which is life indeed. See, good works is what life is all about. That is life indeed, okay? But not only is it life indeed here, but that eternal destiny 
and eternity that's being set for us is the full inheritance. The full inheritance. Now, the full inheritance has already been set in heaven. Whether you get it or whether it goes to somebody else, it's already set. There's no change in it. Because if we don't fulfill what we're supposed to do, then part of that reward and destiny is going to go to somebody else. The parable of the talents was proof of that. It's an inalienable possession of the redeemed. Unchangeable. It's a life of rewards. Now let's look at these verses in the Passion Translation. Verses 17. Let's start with 17. To all the rich of this world, I command you not to be wrapped up in thoughts of pride over your prosperity or to rely on your wealth. For your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. Trust instead in the one who lavishes upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. Trust in him. He's lavished these things on us. Trust in him. You know, it's amazing how people want to put in their money in the bank for a little bit of interest. Dear God, whatever, you know, crumbs. When you could take that same amount of money and invest it into the kingdom. And he'll lavish back on you. See, we're so wrapped up in a world system that's out to destroy you. He lavishes everything, fulfilling every need. So maybe we need to have more faith grow in this truth. The more faith that grows in this truth, the more we'll walk in good deeds without hesitation, without sense of worry about me. Amen. You know, I'll be honest with you. The first day we went shopping for these guys, there was about 38 of them out here. And the first day we went food shopping for them. And we didn't get everything. We got some things that we needed. It's about 600 and some odd dollars. One meal. Never a thought. Well, what about that? How is that going to get taken care of? Never a thought. We knew this is what we needed to do. This was our part. We knew God wanted us involved in it. God supplies all of our needs. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 18. Remind the wealthy to be rich in remarkable works of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. True enrichment through giving. True enrichment is through giving. Now, he's talking here to the wealthy that they can do extravagant works of generosity. You may not be in that position to do extravagant works of generosity. But you can do something. And don't let your something that you can do today be your excuse of only being able to do something tomorrow. Faith needs to grow so you can do more tomorrow than you do today. You know, we, uh, we, we washed the uh, past and they told these guys, you know, you, uh, give me your clothes and I'll wash them for you. Instead of, because you take them down to the laundromat, they rip them off, or they take them over to the camp to wash them and they don't get their clothes back. It's really disgusting. Uh, 
and, and their pants cost them like $75 a piece because they have to be fire retarded pants, special clothes, you know, working on those wires and stuff. So they don't get them back. They, they disappear. You go over to the, uh, I don't know if I told you this before, but you go over to the camp and you got to carry your luggage with you all the time because you come back, they'll be gone. People steal it. Yeah, you come into town to try to help out and they steal all your stuff. So they're staying here really relieved a lot of stress from them. They didn't have to worry about their luggage, they didn't have to worry about food, they didn't have to worry about anything. All the, well, unfortunately, we didn't have hot showers, but they had cold ones that we made outside for them. But that's okay, after working in the sun all day, they enjoy the cold showers. <laughs> you know, so um, we let them sleep in some of the rooms in here. Some guys, you know, not everybody, but a lot of them wanted to come in to sleep, so we set up rooms for them to be able to sleep. That's why the doors stay closed. But you see, less stress. There's no stress. Therefore, you make less mistakes. Therefore, less people get hurt. And it's a joy to do it because this is what God wanted us to do. Amen? Are you with me? True enrichment through giving. And without a sense of worry. We don't worry about it. It's what we need to do. We don't worry about it. Now, I used to. Years ago, I, I would worry. If, I mean, if I had to give $10 to somebody, I was worried. Don't, don't laugh at me. You were the same way. <laughs> so, okay, this is the, what I was saying. We uh, did their clothes for them. And in one, one guy's clothes that we took out of the washing machine, there was coins that fell out of his pocket. So I got me a little plastic bag, put the coins in the bag, and tied it onto his bag, his clothing, clothing bag, to give them back, because they, they're not ours. You say, well, it was, only what? it was only like 35 cents, but that wasn't my 35 cents. And you know what that says to them? It says volumes to them, that we gave them their 35 cents back. And they probably didn't even know it was in their pocket. Amen. Verse 19. These spiritual investments will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future as they lay their hands upon the meaning of true life. True life. See, true life is a giving life. It's an abundance of life is a giving life. The one that scatters, the one that is generous, the one that waters is true life because of true giving. The future, it says here that they'll provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future. When is the future? You're already in the future from when you got here this morning. Your future is just always one step ahead of you. And your future not only starts one step ahead of you, but continues on into eternity. Isn't that right? Amen. And this is why we always say things like your best days are just ahead of you. Now, if you're wrapped up in them screwballs out in the world, you can't see that. You can't see how your best days are ahead of you. I mean, these people are crazy. This stupid stuff. Go no, no, but our, our days aren't ahead in them. You need to be like the Lord who sits on his throne and laughs because he sees their day coming. 
Amen. You know, we may invest our funds for an investment return on the earth, but we invest in God-ordained good works and will receive an investment return now and the fullness of it in eternity. Amen. Securing. What is securing for them a great future? What is the great future? The destiny. The destiny that God has set for you that is fulfilled by doing good works. Amen. One last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll close here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 10 and 11. It says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Well, just as Jesus is our foundation for salvation, so our correct use of righteous mammon lays a foundation for our eternity. You know, Jesus said <clears throat> about proving yourself in the use of unrighteous mammon. If you will not be faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? A whole life on this earth. This is your life on this earth. It's about proving yourself for what you will step into in eternity. That's what everything on this earth is about. And you could start at any time. You know, God is such a restorer. You know, when I got saved at 30 years old, I thought, dear Lord, I wasted 30 years of my life. But God's a restorer. He restores the years that the locusts have eaten, you know. And, you know, and I used to think, I used to say, dear God, where would I be if I didn't just get saved at 30? If I got saved a long time ago, where would I be? And the Holy Spirit said, right where you are. Because, boom, like that, he can restore you. Right where you need to be. Amen. Amen. So the house cannot be larger than the foundation. Your house of reward and inheritance that's in eternity can't be larger than the foundation. A house is never larger than a foundation. So how big will our eternity be? How big will it be? Well, it depends on what we invest in this natural realm. Your whole life is about investing into eternity. We were created for good works, and you will fulfill your destiny as you walk in what God asked you to accomplish. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean that you need to have some great lifelong vision. It means what will you do today? Will you obey God today? Will you do as he asked you today? Because day by day, doing what he's asked us to accomplish, we will fulfill our destiny. We will set our foundation, and the house of inheritance will be great in eternity. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise the Lord forevermore. Praise the Lord forevermore. Bless your name, Jesus. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. All glory and honor to you, Lord God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
So rather than just sing the song, make it to be a decision in your life more and more every day. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. You've redeemed me. You've set me free. My life belongs to you. I may have a plan. I may have a plan to move here. I may have a plan to do this. I may have a plan to go on vacation. I may have a plan for whatever it might be. But what do you say, Lord? What would you have me to do? Now, if God gives you a job, you don't have to pray every day about whether you should go or not. You continue to go until he says something different. But we want to do what God wants us to do and accomplish his will in our life on the earth. Praise God. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 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 We've got. Um, oh, it's tomorrow night, isn't it? Well, that ain't going to happen for us. We'll be tied up anyway. Over at Community Life Church, and we got some handouts, Pastor Morgan, maybe you can give out some handouts. Uh, they're going to have prayer at Community Life Church for the upcoming elections, because that's the next storm that's coming. And we want to actually get together and pray. In fact, they invited Pastor Nid and I to come and to pray, but I'm going to have to turn them down because... We're busy with these guys here, and these are the guys we've committed to. But we would like you to go, you know, if you have the opportunity okay. to go. Okay, I wonder if it's all you can cook. No, I can't cook. <laughs> That's right. If you go, we're having pizza. <laughs> and, and I thought about that. I thought, well, you could go, you know, you can go, and I'll stay. But then I'm thinking, oh, dear God, they have to eat what I cook. Oh, they're going to be in trouble. Huh? No, no. So, anyway, it's at Community Life Church down on Edgewater over where we used to live. It starts at 6.30. They're going to pray, I think, for about an hour. And um, it's about pastors, people, and politicians. Okay? So if you could just pass those out to the people, and um, you could take it with you, and that will be a reminder for tomorrow night. Okay? Amen. 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 You know, it's very important. And, uh, you know, when you pray, you don't just pray, oh, we're praying for the next election because somebody has to vote. You know, God don't vote. You know, people say, well, the people got into office because that was God's will. God didn't vote. You know, people vote. And uh, we want to vote for righteousness and we want to vote according to the word of God. Of course, the verse that they quote here, Second Chronicles 7 you, you can give that out while I'm talking. That's fine. Second, first, Second Chronicles 7 says, If my people that are called by na my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal the land. Well, one of the most evil ways that the church operates in is voting based on their convenience. What's so-and-so going to do for me? Which you have no idea because they make all phony, fake promises continuously. So... You cannot do that. And to vote based on what's good for you, you just said, my government shall supply all my needs. Yes, that's it. So we want to vote based on godliness, the best that we can. Amen. Amen. God is our source, not the government. Right. 
It does not matter who's in the White House or who's in the outhouse. God is our God. Amen? Hallelujah.